Baruch Hashem. Well, it's a joy to have all of you today. Glad that you're here in the house of Adonai. Baruch Hashem. I want to welcome again our friends from across the street, the uh, UMC <laughs> folks back there. It's a joy to have you. And also, I believe it's the Ibanez family, right? All the way from the coast of Texas, Corpus Christi area, Baruch Hashem. Our tropical coastal viewers who watch us every week on live stream here in the house today. For all of our live stream people who are watching us online as well, Baruch Hashem, glad that you are in the house today. I want to um, just jump right into the Torah portion this, this morning because it's very, very impactful, to me anyway, and so much to share. So I just want to begin with our blessing. Hallelujah. Blessed are you and our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments, commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth, in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the, our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, Israel, the, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Amen. Parasha Yitro, my favorite Torah portion. I said that last night, and my family said, you always say that. But really, that's for real this time. Next week, too, Next week too but really. In this, in this morning's drash, Bezran Hashem, I'll be ex explaining or talking about the three fundamental, foundational scriptures that caused me to be who I am today. And really, the ones that brought Sar Shalom into existence. Why we exist, right? First of all, I want to say a big Todah to Mikael for giving the preface to the drosh today. So that was, uh, that was really powerful. You'll understand what I mean in, in a little bit. But um, it was really, uh, it's amazing to me how Hashem orchestrates things and how he talks to different people in the, in the shul, how he talks to my wife and how she speaks to me and all those kinds of things, which lead to uh, such a blessing and, and communicating God's desire for us and what he wants us to glean from this week's study. There's so much to glean. I, I, I jokingly referred to Parasha Yitro this morning. I, I told him that. I said, this is Parasha Yitro night because it's such an explosive Parasha. But I want you to, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We say in Hebrew, Shemot. Shemot 19, 3 through 6. So the book of Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Exodus 19, 3 through 6. I want you to keep in mind the sequence of events, what's happened so far, because it's important to understand where we are. Because as I said, when we began the book of Shemot a few weeks ago, that the pattern is critical. We have been, we have been redeemed rather from Egypt. Our chains are gone. We're no longer slaves. That did not happen because we revolted against Pharaoh. It did not happen because we, had a, we, had, we organized into a slave union and won our freedom. It did not happen because we marched and said, I have a dream. Nothing wrong with that, but that didn't happen for us. That didn't happen for us. So, so it wasn't because an act of Congress got it out. It was because God rescued us and as a result of the blood of the lamb, we're no longer in Egypt. But the story doesn't end there. For a lot of people, that's where the story ends. But it doesn't end with us there. We go from the being rescued by the blood of the lamb to crossing over the Red Sea, which is the mikvah. The mikvah is what is commonly referred to as a baptismal. It's just a Greek way of saying mikvah. But the water of the mikvah and what the baptism meant originally was that that water was the amniotic fluid of the, the spiritual womb from which we would be born. 
And every Jew knew this, which is why Nicodemus, when he came to Messiah on the rooftop at secret at night, Nicodemus, big, he, first of all, Nicodemus is mentioned in the Talmud, by the way. There's a story that I just read last night about Nicodemus' daughter that after the Jewish revolution, Jewish revolt that, that failed, uh, all of his money was lost and his daughter was found picking grain from the dung of the animals because they had no money. And this was a big deal because Nicodemus was a big, big, big wealthy guy. He's in the Talmud. So he comes to Messiah and he says, listen, I just, he calls him rabbi, which I, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's a big deal because that means that he viewed Yeshua as a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, not just a Pharisee of Pharisees, but actually a sage of the Pharisees. That was what, when you call somebody rabbi in the first century, that's what you're saying. You are a, a Pharisaical sage, okay? So he calls, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, tell me, how do, how do you in, inherit eternal life? And Yeshua gives him this picture of the mikvah. He gives him a picture, specifically a conversion, which has relevance to this week's Torah portion. Because what happened at Mount Sinai is that every single Jew and every single non-Jew who came out of Egypt, everybody was circumcised because you can't eat of the Passover lamb if you're not circumcised. So Jews and non-Jews who came out of Egypt as, as former slaves all came to Mount Sinai and, Yesh, and Hashem told them, I need you to bathe in a mikvah. I need everybody to convert because you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, which is the Torah, which is the scriptures of God, which is God. Because God was, in the, in the beginning was God, or was the word rather, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What does that mean? Does that mean that this Torah scroll that we're carrying around, that we believe that that, that holy word that's written on the flesh of a kosher animal, do we believe that that itself, that that element is God? Of course not. But it is the manifestation of God, as it were. When you look at the Torah, you are looking at the DNA of the Creator. If you looked at my DNA, if you were able to, because it's so shining, you have to put on some shades. But if you were to, just seeing if you're awake. If you looked at my DNA, you would say, well, that's not Rabbi Griffin. But in fact, it is. But it's not the totality of who I am. It's the essence of who I am. So when you look at the Torah of Hashem, his holy word, a.k.a. his will, a.k.a. the law of Moses, when you look at the Torah, you're able to look at the essence of who Hashem is, but you can't see the totality of who he is. We won't be able to see that until we're in Shemayim. But we can look at his DNA, and we can take that DNA like Spider-Man and put it into our own DNA and become like him. So that's what we're talking about here. We, we've come out of Egypt, and, and so going back to Nicodemus and Yeshua, he says, listen, what's born of the flesh is flesh, what's born of the, of, of, of the spirit is spirit, what's born of water is water, all those kind of things. And he says, what are you talking about? I says, what do you mean what I'm talking about? You mikvah people every day, Nicodemus, every day there's somebody converting to Judaism because back then Judaism was very evangelical. And every day somebody's coming to be mikvah. This is why the Greeks later in, in Yochanan, in the book of John, they came and said, sir, we would see Yeshua. What are, what are they doing there? They're at a festival. Why are they at the festival? Because they're looking for truth. And they said, we would see Yeshua, which means we would see the living word of God. Meaning we want to convert to that. I'm about to just get excited. Don't throw this one. By the way, this is the first time in Scripture where the shofar is mentioned. And it's very, it's very significant because the shofar, the, shof, the root in, in Hebrew, the root of the word in Hebrew for amniotic fluid, the root of that word is shofar. The word for amniotic fluid in Hebrew, 
The root of that word is shofar. So that when we hear the call of God, when we hear the voice of God, what we're really hearing is the amniotic fluid of the birth of the king of kings. In other words, when we hear that shofar call, what we're really hearing spiritually is we're being mikvahed in the amniotic fluid that gives us spiritual new birth. This is why in the book of Jeremiah, it calls God the mikvah of Israel. This is why when people don't even know what a shofar is, never even heard of it, never even seen one, but when they hear it for the first time, they, may not even, they might not even be able to articulate, but something just happened to them. And that's why people are like, man, I don't know what in the world. But something changed in me. You know why? Because unbeknownst to them, they were just covered with a, a supernatural amniotic mikvah from Hashem. This is why the walls of Jericho fell down. They didn't fall. They fell down at the sound of the shofar. They fell. The walls of Jericho fell down at the new birth. See, being born again is not a Christian idea. It's not. It's, just, it's in the Talmud. Being born again is a, is a idea of Judaism. This is why Messiah said, come on, Nicodemus, work with me, brother. You know what being born again means. That's how he said it. That's in the Rombell version. <laughs> you know what this means. Quit playing like you don't know what it means. What you're really asking me is help me understand what I already know to be true. You know how you play games with some people sometimes. You know what they're saying, but you want to say, what do you mean by that? You know what they mean. We, we do that with our wives and our husbands sometimes. Well, you know you're lazy. What do you mean by lazy? You know you're lazy, but you're trying to get her to articulate exactly. Because you're trying to formulate it. That's your, that's your throwing it back in her lap so you can formulate a defense over here. Moshe, don't, act, don't look at me like you know I'm lying or something. I see you did that last week. She told me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing with you. That's not true. I'm just kidding. This is how. So he's saying, he's saying, you know how this works. This, would you know, you know, Nicodemus, that all Jews who came out of Egypt before they received the kingdom of God, which is known as the giving of the Torah, we all had to be born again. We all had to walk through the mikvah, the Red Sea. We all had to be circumcised. We all had to embrace the blood of the lamb. We all had to enter in because what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. We had to go into the water again and be born again. All of us had to. And that's why there's no discrimination. That's why you can be from any tribe or tongue and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That's not from the apostolic letters, by the way. That's from the quote unquote Old Testament. Every tongue shall confess. So this comes back to Exodus 19, 3 through 6. This is what's going on. We are here standing before the mountain after all of the, I want you to understand, this is after the salvation. This is after the mikvah. This is after all of that. We've, the chains are gone. This is after the song of the sea. This is after we had a revelation of God and said, this is my God, and I shall build him a tabernacle from Exodus 15. This is after all of that. And we're at the now what point? And God says, I'm glad you asked because you shall be for me. Well, I'm about to tell you. It says in Exodus 19, 3 through 6, Moses went up to God and Adonai called to him from the mountain saying, say this to the house of Yaakov. That's the women. Don't have time to get into that, but that's the women. And tell B'nai Israel. That's the men. God wanted to speak to the women first, by the way. Why the women first? See, Hashem, excuse me, Judaism is so, bef so before the times. Judaism looks at women's rights movement and he says, that's so yesterday. Because Judaism has always treated the woman as essential and critical. Never has the woman been property in Judaism. Some people I see sometimes point, they, they go back and they don't know what they're talking about. And they'll say, well, see, they were just mean to women in Judaism. No, they weren't. Not at all. Quite the reverse. Judaism was the first nation, people group, religion to give woman, women's rights called a ketubah. 
Because before that, you could just marry a woman like property, and if she displeased you, you could just let her go, and you had no responsibility to her. But, but Judaism said, oh, no, 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 no. If you marry a woman, you got to sign a contract with her so that if you divorce her, you got to pay a payout fee. She gets paid if you divorce her. So women, men, that therefore, contrary to popular belief, Jewish men were not real you know, trigger happy to divorce their wives because they, they had to pay out some coin. And it wasn't like just give her 25 bucks. It was like she needs some silver and some gold and your stuff. <laughs> so, uh, you know, men were more likely to go to marriage counseling back then. Right? It's expensive to divorce. But anyway, not that we don't think about love and all that kind of stuff. Moses went up to God, not that I called him from the mountain and said, say to the women, and by the way, say to the women because they have the most influence in the home. And the men said, amen. amen. And tell them, B'nai Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on the wings of eagles and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely, say closely, to my voice and keep my covenant, then, say then, then you will be my own treasured people, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim, kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which you are to speak to B'nai Yisrael. Now, this entire passage I just read is, with all sincerity, my personal favorite. If I had to pick a passage of text and take you there from the Torah, I have one from the Torah, one from the Haftarah, and one from the Besorah, that I could take you there and say, these are my three foundational texts that Hashem breathed into my soul that caused this to exist. Okay? This is that text from the Torah. This is the why of redemption. That's very important. It's very important what I just said, if you don't realize it. This is the why of redemption. Many people know what they do or what they have to offer. Many people know how they do or how they go about offering. But very few people stop and think, why am I doing this? What's the why? Many people in this room have come here and you've been here for a while and just think back to yourself why you came here. And for those of you who came in the early days, it wasn't because we had six flags over Yeshua. It wasn't because we had all the bells and whistles. Many of you came and were willing to blaze new territory with us. You were willing to move from building to building, to building, to building, to building. You were willing to set up and tear down. You were willing to do, you know, one time we had, we didn't have much of a place to meet and we had our, our midweek Torah study under an oak tree in Argyle. Yes, we did. I remember that. Some of you in the, some of you that go back to the way back early days know that we used to have our children's ministry in a circus tent in the middle of summer with no AC. And our teachers came out of there to talk about, I mean, they came out of there and their faces were bright red because it was so hot. I mean, but, but the question is, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just go, there's, trust me, there are wonderful buildings around town, both Jewish and Christian or what have you, that are like skyscrapers, and they have everything. And you walk in there, and I mean, you're practically handed a, a, a blueberry scone, a cup of coffee, everything. When you walk in the door, they shine your shoes. It's got, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Why would you come and bust rocks with other people? What's the why? We're going to answer that today. We're Orthodox Jewish believers in Yeshua. What we sell, so to speak, is an observant lifestyle. 
how we sell this or how we live it or how we do it is vis-a-vis the, the, the law of God, the law of Moses, the Torah, the scriptures, whatever, whatever word you want to say. But, but, but why? Why do we do that? See, this is why you can take somebody and you can show them all the beauty of a Torah life. You can show them the order. You can show them the shalom. You can show them the meaning. You can show them how everything we do, and I mean everything we do, has deep, impactful, life-changing meaning. You can show somebody that as a, as a female, as a woman, if, you'll just, if all you do is light candles on Shabbat, you will, you will literally feel a divine descent of shalom that comes over your household, and you'll, 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 be, you'll grow addicted to it. So you can show everybody that, and you can talk to them, and you can get on Facebook, and you can argue with them until you're blue in the face. But if there's no why behind it, then you're just trying to sell them a product with features and benefits, but they're not motivated by that. There's got to be a why, and this is the why. But we're going to begin with the what. We're going to begin. We're going to go backwards. We're going to go from the outside going into the center of who we are. So this is the what we are. What we are is a kingdom of priests, a melachet konim, a kingdom of priests. Isaiah 61 and verse 6 says, and you will be called the koanim of Hashem, ministers of our God, they will call you, and you will eat the wealth of nations and boast in their abundance. Now, when you read that last part, you might get excited and say, isn't this great, man? The the nations are going to wait on us hand and foot. And we're going we're gonna, to, the wealth of the wicked laid up for the righteous, man. We get excited about that. Trust me, when I see my bills come in, I'll get, man, I prophesy that. <laughs> this prophecy happens in my house about once a month. <laughs> but that's not what that means. How many of you know that the Kohanim and the Levites did not have their own businesses? They were supported by the tithe of the people. But it wasn't because they were lazy. This was God-ordained. And the reason was that it was the mission of the Kohanim and the Levites to teach Torah to the people so that they could spend their entire day training, as it were, in Torah and hearing from God. And, and so that when the people came in to listen, they had to be out there making, making the fields grow and making the, making the cheese or whatever it was they were doing. And, and they came in and said, well, here... Kohanim, I know you didn't have time to work today because you're studying the word of God. So here's your cheese and here's your wine. Now teach me what you know. So what this is saying, according to all the commentators, is that the nations in the end times, the nations are going to come and say, listen, they're going to come to the Jewish people and they're going to say, listen, we're going to support you because we want to hear the Torah you have. It's not about we're just here to serve you. We're here to help you teach us Torah because we want to become like you. Which means becoming like him. Which is why we're to be imitators of God. Yeshua said that you're to, you're to be my disciples and everything you see me doing, you're going to be doing. The apostle Shaul, when he wrote his letter, he was writing to his people that were following him. And he said to them, to them follow me as I follow Messiah. The purpose was not to, to, to be like me. When we say that we're teaching the nations to be like us, the only reason we're us is because of him. But this is what this means. You're to be, for me, a kingdom of priests. It says in another commentary, and you will be called priests of Hashem, ministers of God, will be said of you, just as the Kohanim were supported by the nations, giving them freedom to devote their life to serve in the temple, you will be provided for sufficiently to enable you to devote yourself to Torah study and to gain knowledge to Hashem. The relationship between Israel and the Konim, whereby the people support the Konim, will in the future be the nations in Israel. And the purpose is for their conversion. By the way, this is scriptural, what I just read. We're going to read that in just a second. It says, when Hashem offered the Torah to Israel, he promised, and you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Although the people forfeited this privilege, listen to this, although we, say we, although we forfeited this privilege because of our sin, Dancing around the golden calf. 
This verse foretells that there will be a time when we, I'm putting the personal pronoun in here, when we will merit the fulfillment of this promise. Did you hear what I just read? I don't, man, I wish I had three hours, but when we get to the mountain and we're waiting, we're waiting for the Torah to come down. Some people say that the Torah came down and 3,000 people died. They need to go back and read the story again because the Torah didn't come down. Moses was coming down with the Torah. He had the Torah in his hand and he's coming down and God stopped him and said, oh, by the way, you need to get on down there because your people are sinning. Well, I've got your book right here. I know, but they couldn't wait. It's just like Adam and Eve who didn't eat of the tree of life before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the knowledge, of, excuse me, it wasn't the tree of life that caused them to sin. It was the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It wasn't the Torah that caught, God, does scripture make us sin? If it does, that's a big problem. That's because that means that the doctor's cure is actually causing the disease. Can you imagine going to a physician? He says, physician, I'm sick. Here, take these pills. You take the pills and it causes more disease. Now, that may happen today because, you know, we're, we're in, in, impractical people. But God is the ultimate physician, and when he gives you the cure, it doesn't cause a disease. See, the sickness is not the scripture. The sickness is the person. This is why God didn't have to get rid of the law, because the law is not the problem. My little dog, Abigail. I've got a three-pound, she's not even three pounds. It's like two-and-a-half-pound chihuahua, a little white, I'm, you know. I, just, I want to give her up, but they won't let me. <laughs> there she is. That's pretty much Abigail. We, we let her out in the front yard, and we have a large front yard, and it's lots of trees, and she, I mean, it's, it really is extra large. It's much, our, particular, now our backyard's not, it's short, but the rest of it, the front yard is big. And we let her out there, and she's got, there's 23 trees out there, and there's two tiers. If you've been in my house, you know it's tiered. This, she's two pounds. And she, we let her out the door, and she runs right to the street. Right to the street. And I'm thinking, you're going to get run over. Now, thank God we live in a cul-de-sac, so there's not a lot of cars, but I'm thinking, you're going to get run over. Listen, Abigail, there's like 50 trees on that side and 50 on this side. I mean, you're so tiny, you, could th you think you're in, you're in, you know, the Grand Teton Forest. I mean, it's like wonderful to you. <laughs> but yeah, you've got to go all the way to the street and sniff around our mailbox, which is right on the street. And then, of course, you walk into the street so anyway, I don't need to change my yard. I need to change my dog. <laughs> my dog's nature needs to be changed so that she will enjoy this wonderful yard I have. The yard is not the problem. It's waiting for her to enjoy it. It's her that's the problem. This is, this is me. And we're all little Abigails. Oh. So this is what Hashem is trying to tell us. That what we are is a kingdom of priests, and the reason we are kingdom of priests is because our mission, when we, we uh, sometimes Jewish people, let's just be honest with ourselves. Can we be honest with ourselves? Sometimes we can be a little prideful and arrogant because we're chosen. God chose us. <laughs> you, he didn't choose, but me, he chose you know, and when I hear that, and I, I cringe when non-Jews say, y'all are the chosen people. I cringe. You know why? Because they're chosen too. In so much as God invites them into the covenant. But the other reason is because the reason we're chosen is so that we can be priests and kings. The chosenness of the priest has little to do with the individual. It has everything to do with his mission and calling. Amen. Therefore, if we're walking around and we're not following the Torah, we're no longer chosen. 
Because you're only chosen as a priest if you're serving as a priest. But if you choose to say, I'm chosen, I'm special, but I'm not going to be Torah observant. I'm just going to be a secular Jew. And I want you to know I'm chosen, though. God is saying, I'm sorry. I'm the one who chooses, and I don't choose you. You're not on my team anymore. Because those who are on my team wear my jersey and play by my rules. And that's the chosen team. But your ch purpose of being chosen is to go out and choose them. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzaki, who was a French wine merchant and a theologian, says this. Priest is to be understood here as sarim, ministers, sarim, princes of Torah. The Baal HaTurim, Baal HaTurim means master of the rose. The Baal HaTurim is Rabbi ya Jacob Ben Asher, who lived in the Middle Ages, 1269 to 1343. He was from Cologne, Germany of the Holy Roman Empire. Back then, that's what it was called. He wrote this. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Had the Israelites merited, they would have functioned as, listen to this. Had they merited, in other words, had we not sinned, we would have functioned as konim gedolim. High priests. And he writes, in the time to come, this privilege will be restored to them as it is stated, and you will be called a koanim of Hashem. In other words, what God is calling to us, the what that he's calling us to is to be high priests. What do high priests do? They offer up sacrifices of praise. They lead the people by example. They teach the people what God wants. They bless the people. This is what God is calling us to. If you're here and you're a member of Sar Shalom, your mission is to be chosen to reach people. Amen. It's to be chosen to teach people. This is why God, and I say this with all love, God is a merciful God, a patient God, but this is why the scripture says he's not patient forever. He isn't, and sometimes we play that card. Well, I know God is gracious and he's patient. And listen, he is, trust me, I know. He's patient and merciful and slow to anger with me. I know, I get it. But here's the problem. If we're not even trying, if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and realize that you're pretty much in the same place you were about two or three years ago, you're not trying. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. None of us are perfect. But if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say that you're pretty much in the same place two or three years ago, you're not trying. You should look at yourself in the mirror and say, I've made significant progress. And if you're still struggling with the same thing over and over, even though 50 people have counseled you and 25 people have showed you in the scripture and 30 people have helped you, but you're still in the same place, you're not in the game. You're just pretending to be in the game. You're showing up in the uniform, putting on the helmet, and pretending to be on the team, but we don't even know who you are because we never snapped the ball with us. You're just waving at the stands going... And everybody's going, look, man, he's a player. And God is saying, who's, who, who's that? He's not on my roster here. Oh, roster. How do I know he's not on the roster? Because he doesn't own my playbook. Rambam, who was Rabbi Moshe bin Mamon, are known as Mamonites, 1135-1204 is when he lived in Egypt. He's a philosopher and a physician. He wrote this in Hilakot Talmud, Torah 3.1. He said, there's three crowns. There's the crown of priesthood, there's the crown of royalty, and there's the crown of Torah, which represents the priests, the Levites, and the Israelites. And please note that there are only three groups in the covenant. There are only priests, only Levites, or excuse me, there's only priests and, and kings and Israelites. Or priests and Levites and Israelites. There's only three groups. There's not four. So you are either a priest a Levite or an Israelite. There's no other group. Which is why in the New Jerusalem, in the book of Revelation, it says there's 12 gates and they're all of the 12 tribes. There's not another gate for anybody else. Now, some people look at that and go, yikes, what does that mean for me? No, this is the good news. You get to go through one of the gate, but you've got to choose to be an Israelite and then God may choose you to be a Levite or a Kohanim. That's actually stated in the book of Isaiah. But it says here... Which is Isaiah 66, 19 through 21 says, 
Then I will set up a sign among them, and I will send survivors from them to the distant nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, to Tubal and Javan, and the distant islands and that have not heard my, of my fame or seen my glory. And they will declare my glory among the nations. Then they will bring your kinsmen from all the nations as an offering to Adonai on a horse and in a chariot, and on leaders and mules and camels, to my holy mountain, your Jerusalem, says Adonai, just as B'nai Israel will bring their grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of Adonai, I will take some of them and make them priests and Levites. Now in the footnotes to this, it says in a commentary that God is speaking here about people that are actually Jewish, but they've become so assimilated of no fault to their own, and they have no idea that they actually are Levites in Kohanim. They have no clue. And God says, I know. I know who they are. Let me tell you something. There, it doesn't happen for everybody, but there are people here today that you've, you've come to this place and you've, you've chosen to be here. And you have Jewish heritage and it goes way, 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 way back. And you have no idea. Totally clueless. And God is going to reveal to you one of these days that you've been a, you've been a Jew all, all along. Does it really matter? What if you have no Jewish blood? Does it really matter? No, because everybody who converts is fully Jewish in every respect. But even the sages say that every convert who comes into the kingdom, that they were one of the babies that took the sap from the breasts of Sarah way back then. In other words, the root planted the seed way back then. And what we may be benefiting from today may be the seed that was planted 3,000 years ago. That's very deep. I don't, wanna, I don't have time to, to develop that anymore. But which of these three crowns, by the way, is most important? The crown of priesthood, the crown of kingship, or the crown of Torah? Which of the three are the most valuable? We might have all kinds of responses. We might say the crown of kingship. My goodness, if I had could wear the crown of the king, I could rule the nation. Maybe the crown of priesthood. Man, if I could wear the crown of, of the priest, I could go into the very throne room of God, which is called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. I could go in and, and, and meet with God and represent the, maybe, maybe the crown of Torah because I would be really smart. Well, let's see what, what the truth is. Rabbi Rabbeinu Baya to Shemot 19.6 says this, and you are to be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The plain meaning of these words is that you will be my share. God calls the Jewish people kings, priests, and holy nation at the time they receive the Torah in order to make clear that he wears, that, that he who wears the Keter Torah, the crown of Torah, the, also has attained the stature of the other two crowns. This means... This is the meaning of the statement by the sages where it says, she, wisdom, which is Torah, is more precious than rubies. Seeing that the crown of Torah includes the other two crowns, it is more precious than rubies. Although the high priest wears the crown of priesthood, he can enter the holy holies, a great distinction, the crown of Torah is superior even to that distinction. In other words, if you want to be a king and a priest, God is telling you that I need you to wear the crown of Torah, the crown of my will, the crown of Scripture, the crown of Messiah. Because if we want the crown of priesthood and the crown of kingship, and understand that we're to be careful not to see this as just some, some arrogant, narcissistic, I'm a priest and a king. I can come boldly before the throne of God. Let me tell you something. The priest could come boldly before the throne of God as well, but he had an immense responsibility and the, na the, the spirituality, the spiritual, the spiritual um, condition of the nation was on him. So that he says in, in Hosea chapter four, he says that my people perish for lack of knowledge and it goes on to say, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, because you have forgotten my Torah, I have forgotten you and your children. And it goes on to talk about the fact that the priests have dropped the ball. So if we 
go around saying we're priests and kings and priests and kings. And boy, look at me. Aren't I special? God was, I, was, I was a sinner and God raised me up and made me a king and a priest. Isn't that special and glorious? And God is saying, yeah, that's awesome. I love you. Now, here's your responsibility. You need to put on the crown of Taurus so that you can be worthy of the calling because the minute that you cease to operate in my kingdom, then you cease to be chosen. Now you can might say, well, God, is that how we operate? No, it's, it's, very, it's very simple. God redeemed us. He told Moses, I'm taking you out of Egypt so that you can worship people on this mountain. He didn't say, I'm taking you out of Egypt. He said, I'm taking you out of Egypt so you can come worship me on this mountain. He didn't say, I'm setting you free. We've got to listen to what God is saying. Can we work for our salvation? That is a straw man argument that does not exist in history. Do you know that? There are no Jews, past, present, or future, who ever worked for their salvation. It doesn't exist in Jewish theology. It's, it's a made-up thing. Maybe it existed in some other cultures, but it didn't exist in the first century. It's not what Yeshua was dealing with because it doesn't exist. You can't find it. Jews don't work for their salvation because it, that's backwards. We were already left Egypt when we got the Torah. There was nothing to work for. Right? Okay. The, Ron, this, this is what um, something else is written here. We, have also, we also have an allusion to this kind of, of, of thought in Proverbs 2.4 where it says, search for it as you would for treasure. The word, metumonim, metu, it's, it's metumonim, which means uh, to search for treasure. I'm just going to spell this. I wish I had a slide. It makes more sense. But the word in Hebrew is mem tet, mem vav, nun yod mem sofit. For those of you who know Hebrew, this is going to mean something to you. If you don't know Hebrew, ask me. I'll show you later. It says this is understood as mem tet te monim, which means... That the Bible of Torah contains 49 memtet hidden meanings. Because the word temunim in Hebrew means concealed. Now, for our guest, memtet is like, is pretty much, just forgive the, uh, the simplification here, but memtet is like the personification of Yeshua in uh, the Old Testament or the, what people call the Old Testament. Memtet is like Yeshua. So what they're saying here is that when we search out the Torah, we're searching out the concealed Memtet. When we put on the crown of Torah, we think that, oh man, we're just eating kosher, we're wearing seat or we're keeping the festivals, or we're doing stuff that's culturally like, you know, not outside the culture norm, and then our our radical college-age soul is like, yeah, man, I'm being radical, you know? Come on. You know, you were in college. Everything was different. Nobody went to college? Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you, you feel that way. But, but, but the reality is, is when we, when we do these things, when we embrace the Torah, and some of the Torah commandments are just... It's elevating our common everyday life to a status of holiness. But what we don't realize is when we're doing that, it seems like, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm choosing chicken over pork. I mean, that's a big deal. No, you're finding the hidden memtet, the concealed memtet, something so, this is what I love it. When you're searching for a box of cereal and you're looking for the one that has the hexure on it, you are searching for the concealed memtet. You think you're buying Cheerios. He goes, no, you're putting on the crown of Torah. This is why God is so awesome, because he doesn't require us to be on the mountain all the time doing this. He just requires to live our life as a Kohen, and he will bring the divine revelation into our life. Now, how do we do this? We do this as this is answering how. We just answered the what are we. We're, we're a kingdom of priests, but the how are we. We're his treasured people because it says, now then, if you listen closer to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasurer from all the people for all the earth. So how do we do this? The what are we is the, 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 the kingdom of priests. The how are we is because we keep his covenant. Yeshua in Matthew 5.13 said this, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt should lose its flavor, how will it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So what does God, what is, excuse me, what does Yeshua mean by salt? What does it mean that we're salt? Well, in Barakot 34a, it talks about salt as humility. So we look at Barakot 34a. This is in the Talmud. It says here that if one is asked to pray, be the leader of the prayer service, he should decline. Or excuse me. If he does not decline but accepts it immediately, then his uncouthness resembles food cooked without salt. So what should he do? On the other hand, if he overdoes his reluctance and refuses too much, then he resembles cooked food that has been over-salted. You've been around those people before. Their, their shyness and their humility it's, it, it gets to the point where it's, it's almost as revolting as someone who's arrogant. Come on, will you lead the, store, will you lead the prayer service? No, I can't do that. Come on, brother. You, you're qualified. You can do this. Well, come on, man. Stand up. Okay, I will. That's somebody who's got the proper amount of salt according to what the Talmud is saying. But if you tell somebody, come on, no, I don't want, come on, no, come on, do, will you do it this week? No, I just don't, come on, no, you don't want me. It, pretty soon you just, you're like, uh. <laughs> and it's not because you're impressed about their humility, you're actually bothered by their false humility and their, their, their uh, over shyness, whatever you want to call it, but it just becomes a turnoff. That's food that's over salted. But if we're just like asked to lead the Torah service, like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Well, then that can be food that has no salt. The bottom line here is what we're talking about is that salt in this instance represents humility. And so Yeshua, the master, is saying that if you are people who lose your humility, what good are you to me? Kabbalistically, it says salt contains two forces. I love this. I love what I'm about to say here. This is wonderful. Salt contains two forces. This doesn't come from me, by the way. This is from another rabbi of antiquity. Contains two forces which are opposites of one another. They are fire, which is the spirit, and water, which is the Torah. Seemingly two opposites. Fire and water don't combine, typically, right? The power of warmth, that is the sun, which dries out the water, makes the salt congeal and solidify. He goes on to say, I suppose the meaning is that through the heat of the sun, which causes such wa water as the waters of the Dead Sea to evaporate, salt is isolated and becomes identifiable. In other words, heat, fire, the opposite of water, releases the power of the salt in the water. Seeing that water and fire are two opposite elements which ensure the existence and continuity, con continuity of the universe, salt combines these two elements in a certain form. It is, therefore, the catalyst, so to speak, for, what, for fire and water to interact with each other. That's a really, really deep way of saying this. For you, us to be salt means that we are the element, element that, that God has on the earth to draw the fire of his spirit and the water of his Torah into a substance. He says, so if you are the salt, you're, you're, you're meant to connect two things that shouldn't connect in order to establish my kingdom on the earth. But if you lose your saltiness, what good are you then? You're not the connector that I need. This is why Yeshua stood up on the mountain with Elijah, fire, and Moses, water. This is, he was the connector. And this is why he says, I need you to be like me, where you bring the fire of the spirit and the truth of the water together so that you can bring this to the... This is why Yeshua said, you've got to baptize me, Yochanan. I baptize in water, but you baptize in fire. Exactly. We've got to connect these two. Salt equals wisdom. It says the wise man who speaks with wisdom and intelligence is like a salt on a cooked dish. What is wisdom? Wisdom is Torah. 
It says here, salt equals covenant. One final thing on salt. Salt represents the covenant with your God, for salt is what we put on the altar. It alludes to the emanation of Malkot. Accordingly, we say Esther Ha Malacha, Queen Esther, a symbol of the emanation of Malkot. She's the Tov Shel Chesed. In other words, when we put salt on it, on, on a dish, or on, like he was talking about bread, it represents the salt of the covenant, specifically Hesed, because it's the preserver. And what Yeshua is saying is if, if you lose your perseverance, what do I have? Do you understand that God, it's us that he works through to minister on the earth? He says, if you lose your perseverance, what good are you to me? You know, it's, it's very important that we always remember that God is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of tenderness and a God of patience and long-suffering. You better believe that. I mean, I've already talked about that. But it's equally healthy to remember that he's God. It's equally healthy to remember that we can't play games with him. It's equally healthy to remember that God says things like, listen, if you just lose your perseverance, what, what good are you to me? You say, what do you mean what good am I to you? I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You're going to love me for the rest of my life no matter what. It's like, yeah, but let's not, let's be careful with that. Because a lot of times we just continue, you know, I've got, I'll do this next year. I'll do that. No, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm not going to keep Shabbat this year. I'll do it next year. Maybe there's not a next year. Yeah, you know, I know the truth of this whole Torah thing. It really sounds good, but, you know, I'm, I'm really comfortable in what I'm doing right now, and as soon as I finish this project at work, I'll get on board with that. doesn't work that way. I have people that I hear all the time, and they're like, I don't want to get married now. Why don't you want to get married now? Well, I want to accomplish this, 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 and this, and this. And once I've accomplished all that, then I'll get married. I'm like, oh, wow, boy, you really, I'm not even know what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow. And you already know how you're going to plan your whole life, and then you're going to get married. Then you're going to have a dozen kids, and you're not trusting God at all because you've got it all planned out. Oh. Right? We do that all the time, don't we? And we have the word of God says, don't, don't. Don't even, don't even say, I'll see you tomorrow without saying Bezrat Hashem with God's help because you don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow. Right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying don't plan. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying, but don't get so arrogant that you just think you're just going to do this and this and this. Trust me, friends. Listen, when I was 18, I had a completely different outlook of what my life was going to be. And it was not this. I'm glad it's this. Based on what I had before, but man, I had long hair and I was in a rock band. No, I didn't. That was not me. But it certainly wasn't this. All right, I got to hurry. The why. Why are we this? Why do we believe that we believe? Why am I passionate about it? Why? Why did I choose this life? I didn't. I didn't have to choose this life. Why am I here? Why, why am I not? Because I didn't start out there. Many of you know my particular story. I didn't start here. Why? And the why goes back to the, to the verse where God says, you have seen what I've done to Egypt and how I brought you to myself as on the wings of an eagle. The why for me is because God brought me to himself. The why for me is because I'm bought with a price. The why for me is because Yeshua looked at me and said, I want you. And I didn't deserve to be wanted. The why for me was because I was a slave making bricks in Egypt. And the Redeemer came and said, it's time to go. And there was nothing I could do about getting out of my situation. And so when God said, I need for you, Mr. Griffin, to be for me a Cohen, 
I need for you to me a treasured possession. I need for you to follow the mitzvahs. I was said, yes, sir. I don't have any. What am I going to say? I don't belong to myself. The, what, the why that I do what I do is because he brought me to himself. That's my why. And it comes from this passage. The Balhaturim writes about this and he says, You shall be to me the most beloved treasure of all people. The final letters of the Hebrew word can be rearranged to spell Milah, circumcision. <laughs> for me, just for the sake of time, I'll just mention that Isaiah 2.3 is my verse from, from the prophets where God says that all the nations will come up to the mountain and they will learn Torah and they will learn the ways of Hashem. God spoke to me so many years ago and said, I want you basically, I want you to revive the ancient faith. At the time, it was a very lonely road. That's the why. Why I do what I do is because I was bought not with silver and gold, but with the blood of the Lamb of God. Peter, Kepha, talks about this in his letter. He says, so brace your minds for action. I love Kepha. Kepha was a spiritual giant. So brace, this is why he was the leader of everybody. Brace your minds for action. Keep your balance. And set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Messiah Yeshua. Like obedient children, do not be shaped. Don't be shaped. Don't be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. As it is written, be holy for I am holy. You know that you were redeemed from the futile way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood like that of a lamb without defect or spot, the blood of Messiah. You've been born again, not from perishable seed, but from imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. This is why you can't pull me away from Yeshua. You know why? I love the rabbis. I have every book. Or if I don't have it, my, my Talmudim do or the Zakanim do. We have, I love the rabbis. Love them all. But here's the reality. They didn't come looking for me. Yeshua came looking for me. That's why when, you, when people say, why don't you just leave Yeshua and just join Orthodoxy, you'll be accepted, you'll be a rock star, everybody will love you. And I said, that's all great and everything. But I love Rambon, and I love Rambam, and I love Rashi. I love all those guys. I love Rabbi Lazer. I love Rabbi uh, Mizraki. love all those guys. But they didn't come looking for me. When I was lost and without hope, it was Yeshua who found me. And I leave the dance with the one that brought me. <laughs> Just to conclude up, it says again in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people. This is my verse from, from the Brit. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Kepha is repeating from the book of Exodus. Keith Green was, my wife and I were introduced again to a musical artist who died in 1982. Keith Green, born in Brooklyn, I don't know if he was Jewish or not, but Green is a Jewish name in Brooklyn, well. So probably Keith Green was Jewish and didn't know it. But anyway, he wrote a beautiful song, and my wife rediscovered it yesterday as she was just having a, just a wonderful time with Hashem and gave it to me, and I had to go do some errands, and so I played it in my truck, and I was crying like a 13-year-old girl listening to this song. I've heard it before. It's, it's not new to me, but it's, I haven't heard it in a long time. But Keith Green wrote this song, and these are the lyrics. Talking about the why, the why of who we are. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. 
For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. O Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. I want to take your world and shine it, your word rather, and shine it all around. But first help me just to live it. And when I'm doing well, help me never to seek a crown. For my reward is in giving you all the glory. Oh Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clean. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. Oh Lord, I want to take your word and shine it all around. But first help me to live it out. And when I'm doing well, help me never to seek a crown for my reward is in giving you all the glory. What do we know? What do we know? Because of what God did for us in taking us out of Egypt, we live for him today as kings and priests. Let us never lose sight of the why so that we can always remember how to do the how and live the what. Amen.